It really is. I, I would just, uh, just uh, uh, you know, kind of throwing it off the cuff here, I would venture to say that out of roughly a thousand people who may be listening tonight, right, on this frequency, there, I would be very surprised if there are more than one out of a thousand who has even the faintest idea how that radio works. Wouldn't you say that's roughly about the, you'd say not even a thousand. You say five out of a thousand? Oh, get out. You don't know our audience, friends. <laughs> Half our audience doesn't even listen on radio. They get it on the fillings of their teeth. What are you talking about? But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, the, the, the fact is that very few people really understand what, you know, why, why can you pick my voice up? I mean, here you are, you're, you may be uh, two or three hundred miles away. You may be up in Maine someplace. How is it you can hear me? And here I am talking in a room on Broadway in the middle of New York City within spitting distance of uh, Times Square, the armpit of the civilization. And uh, here, here I am, right, right there, talking, and you're hearing it. Well, how does it work? There's no wires connecting. And, well, that's true. I have a very powerful voice. And I uh, have a tremendous charisma. There's no doubt about that. I just radiate, uh, you know, fantastic personality and all that stuff. But you still got to have that little Japanese transistor radio to get it, you know? <laughs> well, how does it work? Well, there's been a lot of work recently done on this, and they have discovered. Now, this may come as a surprise to many of you electrical engineers that are working out there. They have discovered that the radio itself transmits a lot more than we had originally thought. In other words, if you take the typical waveform that is transmitted, say, out at our transmit over in Lindenhurst, and uh, you analyze this thing, see, and uh, you, you're trying to figure out what you're listening to, see, and you know it's WOR in New York, okay? You know that. But what else are you getting out of it? I mean, you're getting this, you know, this guy talking, sure, you're getting this guy playing the Jews right now, but what else are you getting? <laughs> All right. They have discovered that... It, particularly between the frequencies of 705 kilocycles and 725, roughly in that frequency band, the transmitters of the 50,000-watt caliber variety, which is what you're listening to right now, a 50-kilowatt amplitude-modulated transmitter, broadcast a noticeable and a measurable frequency of waves that have a distinct aphrodisiacal effect. Have you wondered why listening to this station at night you're going you know, to get those funny feelings? Here? Right now, at this time, you probably got them. You know, I don't want to get that personal with you. And you wonder why it is. You know, here it is. It's, uh, you know, 10.30, so you're driving along. All of a sudden, you should be thinking of good, clean thoughts, like going to the bowling alley. I said, what are you thinking of? All right? Okay. Have, has it ever occurred to you that there may be something at work that you don't know about? It, it, you're totally in this, the power of this thing? Well, we have noticed, and it, by the way, it is particularly noticeable after the hour of 9.30. It's due to Canelli heaviside layer distribution. It's a, it's a highly complex. We don't want to go into E-layer sporadic distribution, all that kind of stuff. That's beyond the scope of tonight's course. It will, however, appear next semester and will appear in one of our workbook exams. But uh, for, suffice it to say, tonight we will throw it out to you and say that between 9.30 and quarter after 11.00, the sporadic e-layer dissemination of these, what they call uh, 
Well, there's, uh, there's been several phrases. These, these are called L waves right now. They're calling them L. It's uh, just a, a laboratory designation. They haven't really defined them yet. But these L waves, due to the sporadic dissemination of the E layer of the Canelli heaviside layer, uh, are particularly effective between 9.15 and quarter after 11. So be careful, friend. I mean, just be careful. You'll be able to get yourself into a peck of trouble. There's no telling where it's going to go. I mean, you turn the gain up, and friend, your lab would just go out of your bird. So, <laughs> and I'm serious. You know, you're listening to this. Now, on the other hand, the fact that I have been playing the Jews harp during this broadcast—it's a—it's a contradictory factor that has entered it. Understand? The Jews harp is primarily an anti-pregnancy device, right? Okay. Now we've got some very interesting, very, very interesting hypothetical waveforms that are being broadcast. Now I'm going to play one note on the Jews harp. Anybody out there who has a scope, an oscilloscope, who is familiar with lucid view figures, uh, I would uh, suggest that you put, put, put us on the scope now and notice what type of waveform we produce. You will notice that the waveform, when certain notes of the Jews harp are hit, are extremely erotic in nature. I'm talking about the visual acuity, perception uh, side of the waveform. We're not discussing here the mathematical breakdown of the waveform itself. You don't mind if I get the semi-technical here with you. All set now? Now carefully tune up. Uh, give, give us, give us, give us plenty of vertical gain on your scope now, and let's uh, let's see what we get on uh, listen to your figure. I would suggest as a sweep. Uh, you inject 440 cycles. I, I'm making the suggestions. When you get your show, you make the suggestions. Okay, friend? All right, uh, here we go. Let's give it a try. Once again, we try. This will be another form. Fantastic. Fantastic. Incredible. But of course, you know when you when you uh, when you get into these uh, these deeper subjects, you can find you find that just there's an endless there's an endless supply of uh, well, let's put it this way: it is right now by most scientists, particularly in the electronic field, they figure that we know roughly one tenth of one percent, roughly, at this point, as far advanced as the art is. That's roughly how much that we actually know. <laughs> about what's happening out there. Well, of course, you never know. You know, you know that Benjamin Franklin at one point. Uh, we all know who old Ben is. I mean, remember Ben running around with those kites and all that stuff? You remember Ben? Boy, he was something, I'll tell you. I mean, uh, have you ever read Have you ever read any of the stories? Of, well, of course, the letters of Ben Franklin. I mean, make anything Jackie Suzanne ever written, you know, sound like the Bobsy Twins kid stuff. Because, he, you know, he was serious about it. He didn't mess around. There was a, there was a man among men. And, uh, but nevertheless, yeah, oh, he, he experimented a lot of stuff. You know, that's one thing I like about old Ben. He, he not only wrote all those maxims, you know, poor Richard's almanac and all that stuff, but he was out in the field. Uh, he, he was out in the field experimenting. And, and it wasn't all experiment with old Ben. He knew what he was doing. But uh, nevertheless, no, no, Ben, Ben, he, played, he was a little, you know, rich life. But uh, <laughs> all the way. But uh, nevertheless, Ben Franklin, you know, when there was a big argument going on in the country as to what should be our national bird, well, Ben Franklin held out for the turkey. 
Did you know that? He did, seriously. Ben Franklin said that the turkey should be the national bird of America. Well, of course, that was a long time ago. And uh, we, you know, elected to have the eagle, which is kind of ridiculous. I mean, if you know anything about eagles, you know that's not the national bird. That certainly does not capture the national character of the average American. Not certainly in our day and age. I, I, would, I would like to suggest that the true national bird should be the pigeon. Uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I really believe the pigeon really captures us more than anybody else. And, and uh, in fact, we got a letter from a guy the other day. He said, bus drivers. And he says, you know, I've been a bus driver, he says, for uh, five years now. He said, uh, I graduated from NYU. And he said, I want to learn about life. He says, so I'm now driving a bus, a Jersey bus. And he says, a fantastic thing to drive a bus. He says, you really learn about life. And he said, I would like to suggest they, have, they should have some kind of a monument erected to bus drivers. He says, these are true, but, well, they're the equivalent of sailors in our day and time. Their life is a life of one long, just nothing but vicissitudes. I mean, yelling, hollering, the whole bit. And he says they should erect a monument to bus drivers. Tremendous great stone bus. Wouldn't that be a great monument, though? An enormous stone bus, about ten times its actual size. A tremendous bus with great golden wings straining forward to the open road, you know, just straining. And, of course, the national bird on top of it, the tremendous bird, the pigeon, doing what pigeons always do. And, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're doing this disservice to mankind, as my friend puts it. But, uh, nevertheless, I don't know whether that's a service or a disservice. I think it teaches you. I mean, it keeps you, it keeps you straight. Like one day I'm walking along the uh, boardwalk, I'm out to Atlantic City, say, I go to Boardwalk. The only time I've ever been to Atlantic City, say, I walk on the Boardwalk there, and I've got my new electric blue sport coat on, see, I'm looking very sharp, I'm walking along there, and the sky is blue, beautiful sky up there. Now, there are some people, there's no question about it, there are some people who fate has marked out. You know that Americans don't believe in fate. The Orientals do. They've been around longer. They've seen a lot of stuff happen, so there's only one way you can. Ultimately, there's only one way you can uh, you can say it. It's fake. That's all. You know, Americans really do believe that they get the right book. They, it'll happen to them. You get the right book on how to make dough, you make dough. You get the right book on how to beat the horses at aqueduct, you beat the horses at aqueduct. Get the right book on how to lose weight, you lose weight. Get the right book on how to live forever, you live forever. You know, it, we really believe there's no such thing as luck in anything. See, at the, but uh, nevertheless, all. Oh, when you when you slough away all the gunk that surrounds us from living deep down inside, every one of us is, you know, suspects that 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 uh, finger of fate. They don't want to admit it because it, what it means is it's out of control. They call that the random factor in mathematics, right? The random fact—that's the Lausa factor, <laughs> you know. How are you going to protect it? You, know? you can't protect yourself against it. So I'm walking along the boardwalk. Just, you know, beautiful day. Oh, man. And so I've got my new electric blue sport coat. And I'm, no, just great. The sun is shining. And uh, there's a nice lady talking to me. The lady with a printed uh, flower-type dress. And she's wearing one of these little pots on the top of her head, you know, that the ladies with the blue hair wear, these funny little things. And uh, she's talking away to me there. And uh, I'm, play yeah, I'm playing it straight. You know, sometimes you play it straight. And I'm saying, yes, indeed, it is a fine day. <laughs> yes, yes. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my left ear, I hear splat. 
I can't believe it. I am in the open sky. There's nothing around me. Beautiful sky for miles around. And I look up and I see at least 40,000 feet above me one seagull. You talk about pinpoint precision bombing. That guy got me from at least 3,000 feet with a good strong crosswind yet. Right on the, right off, you know, right on the, on the shoulder pad of my new sports, a splat. And what was worse? Oh, I don't want to get into that. I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to argue about the health of various type of seagulls, but let me tell you, that, let, let's put it this way. This seagull, well, he was having an emergency. Was, you know, so, so what is, why? Why me? And the lady looked at me, sir, she, she saw that, see? Missed her, of course, completely. Naturally, she was one of those people, nothing ever hit her all of her life. You could see that, 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 un, that uncluttered look of a person to whom nothing has ever happened. Those china blue eyes of a person who has been totally protected against the vicissitudes of unkind fate, the fortunes and slings of the whole damn bit. And there I was, dripping off of my elbow the whole... Well, all right. So what do you have to do to finally conclude that fate plays a great role in your life? I just wonder how many guys right now, this minute, I'm talking about now, this instant, Look at your loudspeaker. Look at that grill. Don't duck away. Look. I don't be any good to try to hide. This is the voice of conscience. How many guys are about to do? Well, they're about to. They're about to make a mistake that's going to thaw them the rest of their lives. Why? Fate. And why? I wonder how many guys right now. What people? Women, men, kids, everybody. You ever look around your house? Look at all these these clods that you're living with and wonder how the hell it happened? Fate. That's right. So naturally, we're always testing ourselves. We're always attempting to wrestle with fate. We're always attempting to deal with those inexplicable, sneaky things that hide underneath the privet hedges of existence, reaching out to grab us by the ankle. Testing. Always testing. 